turning to a new set of data from the Internal Revenue Service, our favorite government agency. A set of data that covered the years from 2000 to 2005. America's most wealthy earned an even greater share of the nation's income than they did in 2000 at the peak of the technology boom. The wealthiest 1% of Americans, the Wall Street Journal reported, earned 21.2% of all income in 2005. That's up from a high of 20.8% they'd reached in the bull market of 2000. It's a change of 0.04%, less than 1%, not a whole lot. The bottom 50% income of people earned 12.8% of all income compared with 13% in 2000. That's a change of just 0.02%. But the upper level income earners are earning more and the lower income levels are earning less. It's not a large difference if you have a great big income. But when you have a small income, to earn even a little bit less is a lot. And this is another point. The median tax filer's income fell 2% when adjusted for inflation to about 31,000 between 2000 and 2005. That is, half the, the taxpayers in the United States earned more than 31,000, and the other half of Americans earned less than 31,000. So lots of people's income has fallen even farther behind. Now, the wealthiest are far less affected by inflation in terms of simply being able to take care of their survival and comfort needs. I'm not saying that they aren't affected by inflation. I'm just saying that in terms of their survival and comfort needs, they are more able to take care of them. So, but the changes in the rising costs of fuel for cars and planes and buses and trucks make much less impact on the lifestyles of the wealthy about just going about day-to-day -day business. It makes the most difference with people who have young families, people who are on fixed incomes, people who have mortgages and car payments, people who rent or can't afford to buy a home. And it's very, very, very difficult for single parents, the undereducated and underqualified and unskilled in current job requirements. Jobs are no longer simple. Jobs are complex. Many people are living on the margin from day to day. The interfaith group that our church participates in is working hard to bring job training to Shreveport so that those people who lack skills will be able to acquire them, and training to search for employment, and how to interview for positions. But once a person drops out of school, he or she drops farther behind each year, and it can be very difficult to move back into a structured life of school, training, or work responsibilities. The New York Times reports that more and more people are being priced out of a middle-class existence. Because of housing prices, because of health care costs, because of tax policy, because of the cost of child care, the good life 
A life of relative comfort and financial security is now, in many parts of the country, an upper-middle-class luxury. There's no simple answer to all of this. There's no simple answer politically, educationally, or economically. It's very complex and interdependent. And as someone said, you can always shrug it off and say, well, the poor will always be with us. When I worked at the University of Texas Counseling Center, one of the psychologists put a famous Chinese proverb on his door. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. So we're always faced with a dilemma, whether to give food or help directly or to give to programs that help people to learn to earn their own food. One clever businessman revised the saying, Thusly, teach a man to fish and you introduce another competitor to the already overcrowded fishing industry. <laughs> Give a man a fish and you stimulate demand for your product. <laughs> Go figure. Or this one. This is really bad. Teach a man to fish and he learns to covet your boat. But our dilemma persists. Feeding people makes us feel good. Helping people to learn to feed themselves takes longer. We're farther away. We may not ever see the person. And although we may in time do more good, our generosity may not feel as good to us. So most of us give both ways, to feed people and to help them learn to feed themselves. The Unitarian Universalist Service Committee's Guest at Your Table program has become a tradition and an important part of Unitarian Universalist culture since 1975. We haven't done it here in this church for two or three years, as I recall, but um, I'm glad that we're doing it this year. The program made its debut following a Unitarian Universalist executive's trip to the Netherlands. And while he was there, he was inspired by our similar organization's program to educate its supporters about its work and to raise vital funds. And that program used colorful boxes that the whole family could enjoy. And so this UUSC person brought the idea back to the United States, and he began to work with the UUSC staff in Massachusetts to adapt the idea for use in Unitarian Universalist homes nationwide and even worldwide. Each year since 1975, involvement with guests at your table has grown tremendously, strengthening Unitarian Universalist connections to our shared principles and helping to challenge injustice in the world. Through this special tradition, our communities celebrate the worth and dignity of all people and learn how to put these values into action. The Guest at Your Table experience of families learning together has built lasting connections to Unitarian Universalist values for generations of Unitarian Universalist youth. I want to tell you just one story. Actually, I'm going to tell you two, but I'm going to tell you one first. Living in a Nairobi slum isn't easy for anyone. But for a child, living in a Nairobi slum can be far more difficult than you might imagine. 
There are conditions like overcrowding, disease, violence, lack of access to water, few economic opportunities, and lack of educational opportunities are just some of the obstacles every child faces. But in Nairobi, there's a women's group called the Rock Women's Group. I don't know how they got the name The Rock. I don't know what it stands for. But you can count on a bunch of women do-gooders to come up with a good name that people won't forget. So they're a partner of ours, a partner of the UU Service Committee um, in Nairobi. And they are trying to change the conditions for children. This group is a coalition of over 20 primary school teachers who work in slums throughout the city. They are engaged in a mission of strengthening the rights of the child labor force. And they're making headway in the lives of children there, despite very challenging circumstances. Little Mary is one such girl. She's a 16-year-old living in a slum called something I can't pronounce. Mary made it through the eighth grade and passed the entrance exam to high school, which was a real achievement. But when her mother died, Mary, who lived in a little village there outside Nairobi, became the chief breadwinner for her household. She worked every day alongside her grandmother in the local farmer's market. She had to leave school and to give up her dream of furthering her education. A member of the Rock Women's Group worked in Mary's school and noted that she was absent. And she looked for Mary, and with the permission of her grandmother, Mary entered an informal high school in the evenings, run by the Rock Women's Group. The Rock Women's Group is also helping Mary to take on a hair braiding apprenticeship, giving her a trade in addition to an education. Mary has a chance at a better life now. If I pass in school, she said, I can go to college. If I don't make it through school, I can join the cooperative of hair braiders. The teachers are helping me to go to school and also to learn a trade. I'm happy. Mary is learning to fish. She's just one of many children who've been helped through this informal education and training provided by the Rock Women's Group. In their own words, slowly, creatively, and surely we will succeed. Now, over in Ecuador, there's a little boy named Angel. You know, I'm always tempted to say angel, but the way you're supposed to say it in Spanish is Angel. Isn't that right? Okay. He's from Guayaquil, Ecuador, and he was faced with a reality that was heartbreaking for any parent. He and his brothers and sisters were among 150 students from their school who were infected with hepatitis A by bad drinking water. Anel's family normally boils their water to kill the germs in it. But there was a cooking gas shortage, you know, they used butane, at the time of the outbreak. And with an income of $41 a week, Angel can barely afford the medication that his children require. It was his children, not his brother and sister. Hepatitis A, listen to this, folks, it is not pretty. Hepatitis A is contracted by oral contact with infected feces. Got that? The water in the neighborhood was revealed to be contaminated, and the level of chlorine, which was used to purify water, 
was found to be well with, below the legal limit. And so the water supply in Guayaquil at the time of the outbreak was provided by a private company called Interagua. When Interagua denied any responsibility for the outbreak, the youth of Guayaquil took action. How could the youth do such a thing? The Unitarian Universalist Service Committee partners with a community-based organization called Movimiento Mi Cometa, My Kite Movement. This organization empowered youth to take political action to demand that the government review the water company services. As a result, the government declared that the water provided by the water company was contaminated and unfit for human consumption. The government required the company to clean up the water. Mia Cometa helped get water bills suspended so that the people didn't have to pay for water until the, until the company been, began supplying the people of Guayaquil with adequate water. Mia Cometa is bringing legal action against Interagua in Ecuador and possibly internationally under the Convention on the Rights of the Child. This is an international treaty which includes the right of children to clean water. The human right to water states that everyone in the world is entitled to safe, affordable, and accessible water. The Unitarian Universalist Service Committee partner, Mia Cometa, is dedicated to making that right a reality for the children of Ecuador. The UUSC is working in New Orleans in many ways to help people return to their homes and to jobs. And there was a big meeting from, of UUSC people from all over the country the week of the GINA demonstration, and I was supposed to go to New Orleans, I just didn't go because I had stuff I wanted to do here. But uh, people went down there and learned all about that and how they could help and took that information back to their congregations. You can keep this spirit and tradition alive in your household. And what you do is you put a guest at your table box on your family's dinner table, and you discuss together what it means to welcome a guest to your table. Now, I know that we all have difficult choices to make about who and what we share our own hard-earned money with. So the children of all souls, and Susan, and I, simply bring you this opportunity. This is just an invitation, but it's an important invitation to share and to give your families an additional opportunity to learn about sharing and helping others grow. No one is required to participate, but I think you will enjoy it. You put the box on your table, and at every meal, you put in a coin or a dollar bill or a nickel, dime, or quarter, and over the next few weeks, your box will gradually fill up with coins and get heavier and heavier, and your gift to your guests will make it possible for a child somewhere in the world to drink clean water or to go to school. So please arrange to bring your boxes back on Sunday before Thanksgiving. That's the day that we have our wonderful Thanksgiving potluck, okay? So bring them back that day, okay? And we'll receive your boxes and gifts during the service and before our Thanksgiving potluck meal. This is an opportunity for all of us to make a difference by sharing our earnings, our allowances, our pennies, but mostly to share something of ourselves with people who need help to live a decent life in New Orleans, Ecuador, and many countries in our world. We can all remember people who have helped us when we were in a pinch. 
people who have given us a hand or a lift up when we were having a hard time, when we were struggling. Inviting a guest to your table is a good chance to give something back. It's an invitation to remember how fortunate we are and to share our good fortunes. This is our annual opportunity to share love and compassion and to spread our love and compassion near and far. Amen. Now we're going to have some boxes distributed, and everybody who would like to take a box home, you will get one.